This episode is brought to you by Ursa Minor Outfitters. Folks, I'm absolutely in love with my Loon mug. It's handmade. It's an absolute piece of art. Whether it's at the office or at the house, people keep asking to check it out. If you're not a Loon fan, they also have other beautiful mugs for wildlife fans of moose, bears, and eagles. They specialize in products highlighting the outdoors and local pride through quality design by local artists. They've even started expanding into items beyond mugs, like apparel, dog accessories, and soon candles and more. They also try to partner and highlight other small businesses and in some cases forgo profits in lieu of charitable giving to help their community such as the dog rescue. So check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and enter promo code hikesmikes10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for our four-legged hiking partners they also have a portable silicone dog bowl and also sweet over-the-collar dog bandana. Go check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and don't forget to enter promo code hikesmikes10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. Welcome everyone to the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I'm your host, Ivan, and together we'll embark on a weekly journey connecting with extraordinary hikers from all corners of the U.S. and beyond. Throughout these winter months, we've had the privilege of conversing with some remarkable individuals this season. Their experiences and adventures will leave you yearning to hit the trails. In this week's episode, we're talking with an amazing hiker and traveler who's had a chance to visit every continent on the planet. Her name is Jamie, and you can follow her on Instagram. At I am lost and found underscore. Jamie shares with us some of her favorite hiking and outdoor destinations, both domestically and internationally, a few of her memorable wildlife encounters, and what it was like visiting and exploring Antarctica. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with our guest, Jamie. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I'm really excited to have this guest on today. She's been a world traveler, and she's been able to visit and step foot on every single continent. And I'm really excited to hear about her travel experiences and outdoor experiences. Thank you so much, Jamie, for coming on the podcast. You know, we always like to start off by asking our guests how long they've been hiking for and how they kind of got started. Hi, Ivan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a guest to talk about hiking, which is something I feel like I don't get to talk enough about. I have been hiking for over 20, 25 years, and I'm pretty sure that my first real hiking challenges started way back when I lived in New York, and I was newly engaged And we lived in Cold Spring, New York, and we lived near Bear Mountain. And we had a little house that we went to up there on the weekends. And we started hiking that area. And I think I got hooked really fast. I loved more than anything the being in nature, of course, but also photography. So summiting always offered some beautiful views. Yeah, the upper New York area, just the the Northeast has my attention when it comes to hiking because the viewpoints that the Northeast has is vastly different from some of the viewpoints we have here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, one place that kind of comes up on your feed a lot and you've been able to capture it throughout almost all the seasons, if not all, 
and that's Vermont. And some of the fall pictures that you've been able to post and share with us have been absolutely stunning. How would you describe the fall season in and around Vermont when you visit? I love Vermont. I have been going to Vermont since I was 16 years old. My parents have a place in Stowe. So Vermont has really always held a very special place in my heart. And I think a lot of people really think of Vermont as a winter destination, and they forget how beautiful it is in the summer and in the fall. So for me, I think that fall in Vermont, and particularly in Stowe, has some of the most beautiful fall foliage I've ever seen. And with that, the hiking is just truly phenomenal. There are so many trails and hikes and places to go there. I've been going for so many years and never have to do the same one twice. Yeah. And we, we see it on, on social media and on the news with you know some of the, the big crowds that some of the places get during the fall. Are you seeing that in Vermont in the last couple of years as well? Absolutely. And in fact, I do have a little, because my parents live there, I have the luxury of being able to go there a little bit off season, off peak, I should say, and not have to be there at the hotels and with the crowds. It's a little bit hard to time, of course, when peak is, but the times I've gone there, I, you don't even have to go on some of the main trails. You can really um, find some of the lesser trails and have equally beautiful experience from a scenery point of view. You know, at the start of the episode, I mentioned that you've been able to travel to all seven continents. And, you know, I'm always interested in hearing how the love of travel came to be for our guest. How did travel kind of become a part of your life? And do you remember the first trip that, that kind of hooked you into travel destinations? I do. In fact, my parents, when I was probably in sixth grade, my parents had went to Egypt on a trip to Egypt, just the two of them. And at the very same time, we happened to be studying Egypt in uh, school. And I fell in love with pyramids and the desert. And I begged my parents to go on that trip with them to Egypt. And of course, I was 12. They said no. And I'm not sure I ever forgave them for it. And I have yet to go to Egypt, but it definitely sparked the interest of travel for me. And it wasn't until many years later, and I had done some traveling, but when I went to Africa on my honeymoon to Tanzania, I think that that was really what sealed the deal for me. And I became obsessed with traveling to far-flung parts of the world. I fell in love with Africa, especially the wildlife, nature, and just never looked back from a travel point of view after that. And, you know, you've been amazing with sharing some of the wildlife encounters that you've been able to experience over all the travel destinations that you've made it to. Are there any that kind of stick out and are, you know, really memorable for you when it comes to wildlife? Yes, so many. In fact, when we went to Jackson hiking one summer a few years ago, we naturally brought bear spray along with us. And we're told that it's very rare to need it, which was comforting. I felt like having that bear spray was like having insurance. So the only downside being that my husband tends to hike a lot faster than me. So there's always this 40-foot gap between us. And the fact that he held on to the bear spray made me hike so much faster. We did encounter a bear from a distance, which was incredibly beautiful and humbling. And we also saw a moose from a distance, which was equally humbling. But I think possibly my favorite wildlife 
encounter was when I was recently in Antarctica and we were on an excursion where we were kayaking and I was on this trip with my stepfather and it was so quiet and peaceful on the water and really all you hear is the icebergs and the bergy bits of the ice crashing against each other. And then out of nowhere, a whale came out of the ocean and his fluke, which you always want to see the fluke, is just incredibly magical, comes out of the water and goes down. And the next thing you know, this enormous humpback whale goes underneath our kayaks. Wow. And I feel like the world completely stood still and the group of us were holding our breath. He just sort of went right underneath us. And it was a totally treasured moment for me. One of my wildlife highlights. Jamie, I think you, you've you shared both of those wildlife encounters on your Instagram. There's an amazing shot of a grizzly bear in Jackson where yes. it just, it, it looks like a, a big boy. <laughs> it was, it was massive looking. <laughs> we were in a car at that point, yeah. which was not on a hike. We were on a what was, I guess, called a car safari of some kind. And that was a really beautiful sight when we stumbled upon this enormous grizzly just out in a field of wildflowers, minding his own business. And I think observing wildlife is, if I could go back in time and do that for a living and photograph animals, that would that would be what I would do. Yeah, you, you shared some amazing ones. And I, and I think there's a, a video on your Instagram, your whale encounters in Antarctica and that's something yes. that I definitely, you know, want to ask you a little bit more about. But when it comes to these wildlife encounters, especially when you're traveling, what's your process in, in finding these like safaris or tours that can uh, potentially get you some visibility with wildlife? Sure. The process for us, for, for me, when we think about our trips is we think about the time of year to go, the best time to see certain animals. So for instance, when we went to Antarctica, we went in January of this year, which was a time that you are bound to see more whales. So we we choose carefully. I think it's important to know what time of year certain animals are going to be at their best. For instance, on our honeymoon in Tanzania, we were there in June and it was the wildebeest migration. So once a year, there are hundreds of thousands of wildebeest across the desert. And that was something that we got to see. And I think it's a matter of research and doing due diligence to find find when to see certain animals and where and what time of year. And Jamie, this episode is going to be coming out during the winter months. And you've been able to to visit some winter slash Arctic destinations over the years. What have been some of your favorite um, winter destinations? Well, aside from Stowe, which we've talked about a little bit in Vermont, we did have a chance to go to Finland in the winter a couple of years ago. And the beauty of going to Scandinavia and especially Lapland, which is where we were in Lapland, which I did not know exactly where Lapland was. In fact, when we were doing the research, I looked and it is the northernmost parts of Sweden, Norway, Finland, and parts of Russia, kind of the closest areas towards the Arctic Circle. So a flight, for instance, from Helsinki. And we spent 10 days in virtual darkness because it was winter and the sun popped up for roughly three hours. But the sun was really never up. By the time you thought it was up, it was really a 
already on its way down and it was never quite sunny, but the color of the sky was incredible. It was lavenders and pinks and blues. But because we were in pretty much darkness all day and night round, we tailored, you don't really even have to tailor your activities. You do exactly what you would be doing if it were daylight. So whether that was snowshoeing, which we did, snowmobiling, we took husky dog sled rides, which were Mm. pretty incredible. And that was a pretty fascinating part of the world to be in, in the Arctic. And I highly recommend even taking kids on a trip like that Some people thought we were out of our mind going to a place that was that cold and that dark. But our kids, they loved it. They consider it one of their best vacations. Right on. And I got to ask because it's known for their northern lights. Did you get a chance to see it? We did. And this is an interesting thing because I really wanted to go to Lapland to see the northern lights. It was my goal. And I sort of put this trip together with my family, talking about all these great things we do, even though the Northern Lights is what I really wanted to go for. And in the end, although it was really beautiful, all the other things we did were almost even better than the Northern Lights. They were fleeting. We saw them one night. And some people I know wrapped their trip around seeing it. And they don't always come out. So it's nice to have other things to look forward to doing there. But yes, we had one particularly beautiful night and we were staying in what was a glass cube. So when we were in our cube at night, you didn't really have to go outside to see them. You could just see it right through the um, ceiling of the cube. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you've been able to stay at some really unique accommodations throughout the years, like the cubes. What are what are some other memorable stays or accommodations, either domestically or internationally, that kind of, you know? The Cube was pretty hard to beat. It was not the kind of place you'd want to spend more than two nights, though. It was a little bit of a gimmick for the Northern Lights, but it, it did make for some interesting photos. That is for sure. Some other really interesting places I've stayed are tent camps. When I was in Botswana, we stayed at a beautiful permanent tent camp way out in the Okavanga Delta. And what's really nice about a tent is that you hear the wildlife all night long rather than being in a lodge where you sleep at night, you wake up, you go on your game drive. When you're in a tent, a canvas tent, the safari almost takes place 24 hours a day because in the middle of the night, you'll hear the lions roaring or the hippos croaking. And to me, that's even better than being in a lodge. So I I definitely would highlight or say to people that if you have a chance to stay in a canvas tent, even if it does seem a little unnerving, it is really far better than being in a traditional lodge. That's definitely one place. Another place that was really unique is way up in northern Iceland, and it's a converted sheep farm, and it's called Deplar Farm. And it only has 13 rooms. There are no other traditional accommodations for miles. So you'll never feel like there are tourists everywhere. 13 rooms, and that's about it. And they have these wonderful excursions that take you all over the Troll Peninsula of Northern Iceland, where we saw puffins uh, on an island filled with puffins. We went whale watching, archery. It was a playground for both the adults and kids. It's uh, one adventure after another. So that's another unique place we stayed. The one that really captured my attention, and I think, you know, they're becoming popular across the United States, especially, but the tree houses. And I think this was 
in Montana that you were able to stay in a really nice treehouse. It's wonderful, Ivan, that you remember the places that are unique that I stayed that better than I can remember them. So yes, we did have a chance to stay at a place called the Green O in Montana. It's relatively new and there are only 12 accommodations, four different types of houses. And the treehouse was really unique. You go in through sort of a glass entryway on the ground floor and a spiral staircase takes you up to the first level. And then another spiral takes you up to the bedroom. And it's mostly glass and wood set within these beautiful pines. And we did see deer outside of our window. We did not see bears, but we could have had uh, they been around. So that was really unusual. And we loved that treehouse. Amazing. You know, since you have had some really great experiences traveling to multiple destinations, I think one thing that I'm struggling with is finding the balance between Airbnbs and hotels and lodges. Because it seems like Airbnbs were, you know, at one point a better option. But now with all the fees and cleaning costs, it almost seems like it's going back to hotels and lodges maybe being the better option. Have you noticed that difference in the the last couple of years of travel where you're choosing between maybe an Airbnb or VRBO and a hotel um, slash lodge? The times that we have used an Airbnb or a VRBO have been the times where we've had a bigger family group and we wanted to stay somewhere all in one place. And it made more financial sense to do it that way. I do think that there are some places that Airbnbs do make more sense and they have more choices. And then there are other parts of the world and the part of the country that the hotel experience, it really brings the culture in and you might miss out if you weren't staying somewhere where they didn't have the authentic food right there on site or having farms right outside where you could learn about how they grow food or speak to people from that country. So I think that that is something that you do miss out on if you stay at an Airbnb. Not always, but sometimes. Although I think the advantages of the Airbnbs are great as well. I think it really is dependent on where you're, where you're traveling. If you're in the United States, especially and you're hiking and you want to go to one of the national parks and you want to stay outside the park, I think that's a, it's a wonderful choice. We stayed in an Airbnb in Joshua Tree, for instance, with a big group for a birthday and it could not have been a better experience and it had great access to the park. So I do think that there's a trade-off sometimes. It does depend on um, depend on where you are. You know, this is a, a tough question. So I think the best way to ask it is, out of all your travel experience, both domestically and internationally, what have been some of your favorite outdoor-centered destinations that you've been able to visit? When I think internationally, one of my recent favorite trips was Corsica, the island of Corsica, which is a French island. And I think it's one of those places that if you ask someone who owns Corsica, you get a myriad of answers. And even I wasn't sure at first. Some people say Greece, some people say Italy. It is French, but it's really its own world. It's not as typical French, say like the Parisian French. And the mountainous interior is so beautiful. I believe there's a really important hiking trail called the G20. And one day my husband and I would like to go back and do parts of that trail. We went with our kids a few summers ago and it was such a rough, prehistoric looking landscape, beautiful lakes to climb to and great wildlife. And then it had the coasts. So it had 
beachy coast. So it really ticked off a lot of boxes that you could go for beach and you could go for rivers. And my favorite experience was canyoneering. We did a day canyoneering where we hiked all the way up about maybe an hour or so hike in our bathing suits with gripper shoes for the rocks. And we were with a small group and a guide and he took us jumping off of rocks into bowls of water and just making our way down the canyon in our boots and bathing suits. And it was very exciting part of our trip. I think one of the jumps was a 30 foot jump into a pool of water. And my daughter went, my son went, my husband went, and I was going to rappel down. I thought I have nothing to prove here. I'm not afraid to rappel. And then I don't know what hit me. And all of a sudden I flung myself off and 30 feet down landed in the water. It was a a great moment, but a scary one. Wow. And that was your first time canyoneering? It was our second time canyoneering. We had done it as well in Iceland, but not where we were jumping at those heights. And Jamie, I know that you've gotten to experience both, you know, one in Corsica, but how did jumping into those pools kind of compare to jumping into cenotes in the Yucatan? Well, I think jumping off the cenotes in the Yucatan was a little bit easier The water was closer and clearer. I am not a water person and I laugh because it's so unlike me to to even swim unless the water is really warm. But sometimes when I have to kind of push myself outside of my comfort zone, which is what I did in the Yucatan, but especially in Corsica, I don't know if I could pick one over the other. They're both such different and unique experiences. You know, one thing about your feet, Jamie, that I really liked is that you're highlighting some destinations that are coming up in popularity, but they're not the popular destinations in certain regions. Has there been a destination that you've been able to make it to that is still under the radar, but that you just had an amazing experience at? Yes. In fact, I was thinking about this earlier when I was going through my library of hikes and adventures in my brain. And I think one of the most underrated places for Americans is the Lake District of England. It is a magnificently beautiful part of the country of England. It is four hours north of London, so not a long drive. It's filled with things for everybody, little tiny, beautiful fairy tale type towns, beautiful churches, crumbling cobbled streets. And then you have these incredible hiking areas and all different peaks and ridges. And one of the ones that we went on was called Helvellyn, and it's pretty famous mountain. And one area of it in particular is called Striding Edge. And it's sort of this knife-edged ridge that was so scary and terrifying that I, I almost still get the shivers when I think about it. I only read later that more than one person has been swept off that ridge no, to no their kidding. to their death. And only a certain, because England does tend to have some weather, we got very lucky. We had maybe one of the four days that year that was a beautiful, perfect sunny day, no wind. So I think that was a lot of the reason I was able to manage it. But it was a really particularly difficult hike for me, one of the hardest I've ever done. Yeah, you've been able to share some beautiful pictures of of the Lake District. Did you get pretty good weather? Because it looked like you, you had mostly sunny days on some of the posts. That we you did. We had 
particularly beautiful weather. And I think I was saying this to you earlier that oftentimes my, well, my husband is the one who initiates a lot of these hikes and I go along with wherever he says to go. I enjoy hiking. It's something that we both enjoy doing together. But oftentimes as a reward for a difficult hike, we get to stay at either a really nice hotel or we go and have this wonderful meal as the way to have earned our meal after a great hike or a difficult hike. And regularly we ask hikers maybe what their favorite summit meal is. But for you, what has been your favorite post-hike meal, whether it's at a hotel or restaurant? This is going to sound kind of not what you'd expect, but one of our first hikes was Ben Nevis, which is the tallest peak in Scotland. And we did it not long after my daughter was born. She was probably three months old. It was not in peak hiking shape, but we did climb Ben Nevis. And as with a lot of our hikes, we get to the top and it's completely fogged over. It's sort of a hallmark of our hiking early on in our marriage that we would hike for hours, we get to the top and the weather will have would have come in and there's no views at all. But this hike, I was proud that I did it because it was so soon after having my daughter. And I will never forget the meal we had afterwards was this wonderful Indian curry in a little town in Scotland. And it was really the best reward for that hike. I don't drink beer, but it was the best beer I'd ever had. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Who would have thought? It's Scotland. <laughs> yes, that stands out. But we do tend to make some nice dinner reservations for the night that we finish our hike or we'll stay at somewhere kind of special. And, you know, Jamie, this episode is going to be coming out in the winter. And depending on um, the individual, maybe they're still enjoying winter. Maybe they're looking forward to the spring and summer. For those that are dreaming of a, a tropical destination in 2024, do you have some underrated picks for tropical or beach destinations? Ooh, yes. I'm a big fan of the Caribbean. And the Caribbean has not only beautiful places to stay and beautiful beaches, but also has a lot of great hiking. One place we went to was the island of Nevis many years ago, which is a beautiful island. And I don't think it's one of the ones that everyone is flocking to. So not quite as crowded as, say, the British Virgin Islands or even the U.S. Virgin Islands. Wonderful hiking and places to stay. And then, of course, surfing. So that's definitely an island I would recommend. I mean, it's hard to knock any of the islands. They all have nice. so much history and culture. But another fun one to go to is Antigua, which also has lots of great hiking and things to do that are scenic and also beautiful hotels. Oh, I'll have to add those to the list. Along with wildlife photography that you've been able to share, Jamie, you've also captured some beautiful spring flowers and just some blooms from across your travel destinations. Do you have any favorite springtime destinations? I really love the Hudson Valley. And when we had lived up in Cold Spring, we did not even explore it quite enough. There are so many beautiful areas. And now it's become a real hot spot. We went to the Catskills last year to a place called Ines, where we used as a base. They're almost like cabins, beautiful cabins, not very many of them, farm to table type food, all locally sourced. And then you have New Paul's in nearby, which is known for its rock climbing. And then you have all the mountains of the Catskills nearby. And we had a wonderful time there. 
And one of the hikes we did, I'll never forget, although it was called the lemon squeeze. And apparently the squeeze is that you go through this narrow piece of rock. And the whole time we're hiking, I'm thinking, okay, this is the lemon squeeze. And we'd go through it and it would not be the lemon squeeze. Four or five times, I thought we had finally hit the lemon squeeze. Well, you really go through this really narrow piece of rock and you go straight up on a ladder. And I don't even know how people could get up with a backpack. It's just that narrow. But when you pop up at the top, the views are so expansive and vast, it makes it worth it. You know, one thing that you've also been able to share from your neck of the woods is the the cherry blossoms in and around DC. They're high on my bucket list, but how are they in person? And then is there a recommended time frame? Because I know, you know, with each year, it, it varies. Is there any tips or advice that you'd give folks if they're wanting to catch the cherry blossoms in and around D.C.? Yes, I think that what they have is called the Cherry Blossom Tracker here in D.C. Really? You can really look online to try to get to gauge it, although it's really hard to gauge it to perfection if you're traveling here. But if you do make it here, I think the Tidal Basin, of course, is one of the most beautiful places to see it. I always tend to start at the MLK Monument and walk all the way around the Tidal Basin. The reason I do that, over the years, sometimes I've gotten up very early in the morning to watch the sunrise. Other times I've gone late in the afternoon. But walking all the way around, it offers you to see it as the light hits the cherry blossoms from every different angle. And it's very crowded, which is just the way it is. But you can really still get some beautiful photography, even if there are a lot of people there. And it is worth coming to D.C. for. And I think for both travelers and hikers, our lists continue to grow, even though we cross as many hikes and destinations off the list as we can. You know, for everyone we take off, we're adding two or three more. What's been your process in selecting where you're going to be traveling with your husband or with your family? Yeah. Can you share with us the process of selecting your next destination? We do sit down, the four of us, and rattle off ideas to each other at times. It becomes collaborative. As our kids have gotten older, they have wanted to do many more adventurous things. Whereas when they were younger, going to a beach, having your kids play in the sand, that was really easy. The parents, we got a break. As they've gotten older, some of their favorite trips have been ones that have been highly active. So we do know that the kids really enjoy kayaking and hiking and climbing. So we think about that together. And we look at some of the past trips that have been the most successful like Iceland and Finland, for example, Costa Rica has been a favorite of our families. And then we look at the time of year that we have our vacation and then maybe how much time we have and we start filtering down. And that really becomes the process. For example, next summer, we are thinking of going to the Lofoten Islands, which are northern Norway. And that really combines a lot of the fun things we did in Finland in the winter Iceland in the summer, and then the kayaking, and for me, this the beautiful scenery. Can't wait to see the the pictures from that trip. Now, Jamie, we've talked about you know some of these amazing experiences that you have had, including Antarctica, and that that's one thing that I, I did kind of want to ask you a little bit more about because I think it's a top destination for a lot of hikers, outdoor enthusiasts, and just travel enthusiasts as well. Can you share with us the process of making it to Antarctica? 
and some of the other activities that you were able to do when you made it there? The idea of going to Antarctica popped into my head around three or four years ago. And I knew that that wasn't something my husband, for one reason or another, wanted to do. And I would have happily done it alone. In fact, a lot of people go to Antarctica by themselves or with a friend. But I decided to ask my stepfather. And he, at the time, was 78 and jumped on the opportunity to do something this adventurous. And so we planned it about a a year out, but then it was canceled due to COVID. But I do highly recommend booking a trip like Antarctica or Africa even at least a year out for a couple of reasons. One, you want to be able to get the room that you want and you want to be able to get the dates that you want. And these trips do tend to fill up a year or so in advance. So once we did that and we knew that we were going to Antarctica, from there it just became the excitement surrounding what we were going to see and what we were going to do. We chose January because of the whales and the opportunity to see so many whales and seals. And wildlife was the main focus. And of course, being able to walk, hike on the continent was one of the highlights of my life. I just being able to walk up across the snow and look down, see the ship far below, see penguins kind of scurrying past us every minute. It felt like it was out of a movie. Yeah. And the pictures and videos that you were shared, just it's beautiful, but I know just seeing it in person is a whole nother experience. And the sounds, uh, I always say equate it with Africa that you really listen when you're in Africa. There's so much that is so unlike our normal lives here. There are no planes overhead. There's no background noise. Same with Antarctica. You're hearing just sounds that are otherworldly, the trumpeting of a whale, the penguins kind of clattering to each other. It's a really unique sound and I miss it. You know, one thing I'm curious about, Jamie, what was the process as far as like the travel to reach Antarctica? So the way our excursion worked and we chose to go by a ship and the ship we were on was called the Ultramarine, which was a quark expedition ship, which was a purpose-built ship for polar travel. A lot of ships today Maybe the Nat Geo ships, for example, they were once in service somewhere else. Now they're in service in the Arctic or the Antarctic, and they weren't built especially for polar travel. So not everything is as easy to get to as it would be, say, on our ship where the Zodiacs were all in the right place to jump on. But going back to your original question, we all met, the passengers met in Buenos Aires, And from Buenos Aires, Argentina, we were taken to Ushuaia by plane. And that Ushuaia is the southernmost tip of Argentina. And that's where we picked up the ship. And the ship went across the Drake Passage a few places first beforehand. We went to Cape Horn, for instance, in Chile. And then we went to across the Drake Passage, which on the way there was very quiet and easy. It was a two-day passage where you see no land. And they call it the Drake Lake or the Drake Shake. And we had the Drake Lake on our way. And on the way back, we had terrible Drake Shake. Oh, no. (laughs) It was really the worst they had ever seen. But it was still part of the experience. And I know lots of people have said to me that they wouldn't go to Antarctica because of the unpredictability of the Drake Passage. And I understand that. But Antarctica 
is unpredictable. The allure is its unpredictability yeah. at the same time. And Jamie, you, you mentioned that it took two days to, to reach Antarctica once once you left the last piece of land. How was it seeing Antarctica for the first time after being out on the boat for two days? It is like you've gone to a different planet. There's nothing there but mountains and mountains of glaciers and ice and snow and blue sea and birds and turns. And it's like another planet. I don't, I'll never forget that moment. And you look around the ship and everybody on the deck as we pull up to it and their jaws are just, no one had any words. Is there a permitting process or like like a lottery system? I imagine it's a it's a popular destination. It is. It's popular and it's becoming much more popular than ever. Every year it's rising in popularity. There are so many different boats that go there. And I think that choosing is based on a few factors, what you want out of the trip are and of course there's a lot of different cost factors. You can go super luxury fancy, fancy, where you're getting dressed up in black tie at night or getting dressed up in cocktail dresses. And then you can go much more bare bones. We went more expedition-based where it was people who were hikers and mountaineers and mountain climbers, people who were very active, who didn't want to get dressed up for dinner, who wanted to be able to just go in their regular clothes. And it was not fancy, but it was high-end. Everything was done very high-end. And it was also the third factor I think is very important is choosing what company that you feel has a very good safety record. You don't want to get stuck in Antarctica or you don't want anything to go wrong while you're that far away from medical attention. Although there is a doctor on the boat. One thing I'm always curious about, whether it's backpackers, hikers, or travelers, is there a luxury item that you tend to pack that kind of falls outside of the essential list that you have that make it almost your trips? That's a good question. I, of late, been bringing a silk eye mask because I like to sleep. And sometimes even in Antarctica, where unlike we went to Antarctica in January, it's almost 24 hours of light. So blackout shades were important, but also an eye mask was important. And I do tend to bring a silk eye mask with me when I travel. And what's great about it, of course, is it doesn't take up any room. Jamie, for you, do you have some travel or hiking goals for the new year for 2024? I'd like to do more canyoneering because I enjoyed that so much. So that would be a goal to do more of that, even though it does scare me a little. I think it's great when I get outside of my head and do things that scare me a little bit. Some other places that are on my list that I'd like to go, I'd like to go to the Yukon. I'd like to spend more time in Canada. And I would like to go to more national parks. I'm going to go make a list of the ones I've been to now that you've reminded me to do that and find some others. I just think national parks in our country, I've my husband and I both have said recently that we want to spend more time at national parks in the country. Maybe take an RV. I know our van life is really, really hot right now. Yeah. Everybody's in a van. Our second child is graduating high school soon. Van life sounds kind of fun for a bit. Oh, I love that. And do you already have your first trip planned for 2024? Do I have? Oh, well. No, I don't have our first trip planned for 2024, but we are talking my daughter and my stepfather about going to the Arctic. So maybe 
an expedition to the Arctic to see walruses and other types of wildlife, polar bears. So maybe one day I'll be able to talk to you about polar bears instead of grizzly bears. (laughs) So I got trip will be 2025 because again, trips like that, you really need to plan far in advance. But I think the Caribbean sounds good. I'm pretty sure that this spring we are going to the Caribbean for a little break. So that'll not quite a hiking trip but a scenic one. Yeah. Well, that was it for the regular questions, Jamie. We always like to finish off the episodes with a series of this or that questions, and they're mostly hiking and outdoor related. I'm just going to give you two different options, and you just choose the one that you personally like. There's no wrong answers. You can elaborate if, if you like. But the first one is, when it comes to your hikes, do you prefer a steep incline or a steep decline? Definitely the steep incline, even though it's very painful on the way up, I think a steep decline hurts my legs much more later. So from past experience. And then when it comes to trail features, are you a fan of waterfalls or summits? Definitely summits. I like to have a goal and that goal being a summit and hopefully not being fogged in like we tend to, but when you get a beautiful view from a summit, there's nothing like it. And then when it comes to trail systems, do you like switchbacks or do you prefer just to go straight up? Ooh, that's a hard one. I don't know. They're both (laughs) tough. (laughs) Definitely switchbacks. And then do you use trek poles when you're out hiking or do you prefer being freehand? I prefer being freehand because I'm pretty clumsy and the less I have on me, the better. Do you prefer wearing trail runners or the traditional hiking boots? I love my hiking boots. I wear hiking boots and they're worn in and they're just right and I will never get rid of them. And when it comes to another trail feature, do you prefer a loop trail or an out and back trail? I love a loop trail. When I'm in an out trail, the whole time I'm on my way in, I'm wondering when we're going to get to the out. So I'm completely focused on the wrong thing. But the loop, I love Not that you don't see things on the way down if you do an in and out, but I prefer a loop. And then this next one, Jamie, when it comes to bodies of water, whether it's a creek, river, ocean, lake, do you prefer to touch the water, whether it's just with your hand or maybe jumping in? Do you prefer to stay dry? Well, despite that I told you all these stories about jumping from rocks into pools of water and the cenotes, I still would always rather stay dry. And then this one's a a tough one, but sunset hikes or sunrise hikes? I prefer sunrise hikes. Although I'm not a morning person, every hike we do, we wake up at the crack of dawn. And what's nice about that is that you get back to where you're staying in time to relax for the rest of the day. So I prefer the, I prefer waking up and doing the sun, sunrise. And then here's another tough one, but spring wildflowers or fall colors? Oh, that is tough. That's very tough. I will say just by a hair fall. And then the last one, Jamie, outside of the beautiful national park systems that are here in the States and abroad, when it comes to other outdoor recreation areas, do you prefer state parks or maybe national forest? We've had some wonderful state parks that we've been to. I would say state parks, although that's really hard to choose. It's like choosing which child (laughs) I like better, but state parks we've had really we've been to some beautiful ones and enjoy those and that's it for the this or that questions jamie you know you've been able to share some beautiful pictures and experiences on your social media but you also have a really great website that provides a little bit more details on those travel experiences what's the the url that they can see your website i've been writing our travel experiences for the past five or six years for a website that I called I Am Lost and Found. 
So www.iamlostandfound.com. My Instagram is iamlostandfound underscore. And we'll be sure to link both of those in the episode show notes so people can check those experiences out. Jamie, it was an awesome time talking to you and hearing about all your beautiful travel and, and outdoor experiences. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I look forward to the new experiences coming in 2024 and 2025. It was so nice talking to you, Ivan. You reminded me of so many wonderful trips I've taken and all these great memories I've now flooded back. And your questions were were great. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And that brings us to the end of this episode alongside Jamie. We extend a heartfelt thanks to her for coming on the podcast. Make sure to stay connected and follow her upcoming adventures on Instagram at IamLostAndFound underscore. And don't forget to check out the episode show notes to check out Jamie's website. We have an incredible lineup of episodes planned throughout the winter months, and we can't wait to share them with you. New episodes will be dropping every Monday with occasional bonus episodes on Fridays. To ensure you never miss out on those thrilling tales remember to hit that like and subscribe button your support means the world to us don't forget to join our vibrant community on instagram at hikes and mics we'll be sharing episode visuals my own personal hiking content and so much more let's stay connected and continue to inspire each other on this remarkable journey as we bid farewell remember to tread those happy trails embrace the great outdoors and keep the spirit of adventure alive until next time my fellow explorers happy hiking this episode's music was created by ketza follow him on instagram at ketza music This episode is brought to you by Flip Socks. Whether you're on the trail, on the job, or in the yard, Flip Socks will keep Mother Nature out of your boots with their innovative nylon sleeve. You no longer need to worry about any annoying debris getting trapped in your boots during your hikes. Simply flip down the nylon sleeve over any boot to prevent Mother Nature from finding its way inside, keeping your feet comfortable all day long. To get your first pair, visit flipsockswithaz.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for listeners who use the promo code at checkout, I'll be donating 100% of the Season 2 promo code proceeds to Big City Mountaineers, who provide transformative experiences through connections to nature that strengthen life skills and build community for youth and disinvested communities across the nation. So if you're tired of bits and pieces of the trail finding its way into your hiking boots, pick up a pair of flip socks today with the promo code HIKESMIKES10 to get 10% off. For website and promo code, see the episode description.